Unfortunately, when it comes to ending hunger, we are not on track to achieve SDG 2 uh, by 2030. Meet Valerie Bichier, senior statistician at the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. But the initial um, a preliminary assessment done last year suggests that the COVID-19 pandemic could add 83 to 132 million more people suffering from undernourishment. So this is, yeah, the, the situation is, is, is quite uh, bad at the moment. So we need to, to double our effort to, to, to take care of, of, of this target if we want to meet it. So right now, the facts are not very encouraging. And the way to reverse the trend on our way to 2030 requires, yeah, well, food. But to put food on the table, we have to go back to the source and work with the people producing it. Ensuring their quality of life, sustainability and resilience. Renewing and securing the world's food systems from the ground up. We are now in the decade of action and here we'll talk with companies and experts from all over the world about how they're taking actions on the STDs. To learn from each other about the challenges, opportunities and solutions on the road towards 2030. From the GRI, this is The Rising Tide. Episode on SDG 2, Zero Hunger. So looking at the numbers, how much would it cost to end hunger? Yeah, in terms of, of uh, funding gap, so we have made um, an assessment in uh, FAO in partnership with the Center for uh, Development Research at the University of Bonn uh, in Germany. And um, they say that ending hunger would require a total annual investment in a range of about 39 to 50 billion US dollars. So that's a huge uh, funding gap. If we look at official development aid, so here we're, we're talking about mainly uh, OECD country, helping uh, developing country. Um, at the moment, uh, th those numbers are, are 17 billion dollars that are invested in the agri-food sector at, at, the, at the moment annually. Uh, this would need, of course, almost to double um, realistically, if we, we could add from the G7 to increase their commitment from 11 to 14 uh, billion. But there's still, there would still be a gap. And this is where uh, the national government and the private sector play uh, an important role. While there is a need to fill the funding gap, it is not only about finding the financial resources, but also about finding long-lasting solutions. So let's move on to a real-life case where food-producing companies taking the matter into its own hands to create this kind of lasting solution. Let's meet Juliana and Maria Clara from Grupo Nutresa. First of all, I'd say that um, social and environmental responsibility have been part of Grupo Nutresa for a long time. We're listening to Juliana Meneses, sustainability manager at Grupo Nutresa. But... In the decade of uh, 2010, 2020, it became like I would say the like the outer layer of our strategy. So it became kind of the framework that shaped all our strategy. That was 
quite an achievement because what it meant is that all the decisions, actions, strategies, goals should be seen through the lens of sustainability. And then it comes the foundation. So you say, okay, why a private company, a private sector should have a foundation and what is our role? And I will say we are the, the part of the company because we are not a foundation that is the, it's not linked to the organization. We are very into understanding the organization, but also we are very into to understand the, our, our stakeholders. Meet Maria Clara Pietrahita. Executive Director of the Nutresa Foundation. So I will say that our role is to bridging and bridging between the needs of the corporation, of our companies and the communities that are related to us or that link us and we can help. So we are bridging and we are connecting this to the, the companies, the private sector world and the community. That's the first, one of the first roles we have on the foundation. And the second and, um, is to give life, to give, bring to life that big purpose of Blue Ponotresa, of building a better world where development is for everyone. Okay? So we are like the hands of Blue Ponotresa in order to, to make that big dream of that big endeavor reality. This is where the idea of creating lasting solutions from the ground up comes into play. What Ponotresa is doing is more like that old saying, You give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. But if you teach him how to fish, you can feed him for a lifetime. And I will add something very important to that endeavor is that that breaching has a special concrete or a special material to make that bridging between companies and communities and is capability development. That's our main goal. So if you say, okay, what is the role of the foundation, of the Nutresa Foundation in all these sustainability strategies? And I will say the main thing is a capability development. And this is not just about implanting foreign values and developing what we think is best. This is all based on the specific needs, resources, and sustainability challenges that each community is facing. And we say, okay, who are our suppliers? Or what is the problem with them? So then we start to work with the communities, with the suppliers, with rural producers, and we also working with them towards reducing uh, the food uh, the waste that is with our farmers. For example, there is a huge problem there in the countryside. So we are placing some actions with them in order to first bring awareness about the problem, what is happening, because sometimes there's, there's not awareness of that, and then to understand it from an environmental and social perspective what we have to do. Okay. What other type of markets we can do for those products? Local markets uh, of exchange, uh, what we call here in Colombia, Trekkie also. If I have this product, you have all the products. How we can exchange that and generate like local economies that allow these farmers to give some value to those products that normally can be to the waste. And I'm going to put an example of a cashew. The cashew is a, is a, is a, is a almond that we use in our process. But this is it's like a little piece of almond, but it has a huge apple. We call it an apple, but it's not an apple, but it has a huge fruit. And it's almost 70% of, of the product. That's probably what's going to the waste, but it has a lot of antioxidants. And we sit down with the farmers and understand, well, what is the value of this thing that you're wasting? And what is the, the thing that you can do? So we bring some researchers to the table. We bring another company, for example, beverage companies, and we start to understand what we can do with that. 
And now we are developing an innovation program in order to bring, uh, to de develop a drink based on this. So the producers can sell that product to other organizations and can create like, uh, use that waste that was going, that was uh, um, going to the, the trees and it wasn't, it can consume, can be pushed. That's an example of how we're working introducing the, the food loss and the food waste with farmers and with our supply. When Adam Smith, considered the father of modern economics, questioned the value of self-sufficient economies, it was generally rejected. But maybe when it comes to rural communities involved in producing food for everyone, the case for self-sufficiency can be made again. But maybe when it comes to rural communities involved in producing food for everyone, the case for self-sufficiency can be made again. Because even though commerce is critical for markets and economies to work, the COVID-19 pandemic showed us that it also makes us more vulnerable to disruptions, and even more so for rural and low-income communities. So self-sufficiency should also be on everyone's radar for building more resilient food value change. And Nutresa has been doing something very exciting about it. But then we realized also that the main income comes from that crop, but they also need extra income. So what we did is we created a program called Herminar, that basically what it does is produces their own food. So how a farmer can have his cacao, can have his coffee, can have whatever his, his main crop, but also in the same farm, how he is produce other food to eat by himself, that's one of the roads, all to sell in the local market, or to produce to their local school. That's something we realize. So what we do is we do understand the communities and we help them to create systems of producing local access to food. But then I think it's, it's important also to mention that we've been working on encouraging sustainable lifestyles uh, among different stakeholders. We mean our own consumers, but we mean, we mean also our um, rural communities and these low-income communities we work with. And that's very important because what, what people always think is that hunger and undernutrition or obesity is food industry's fault, but not necessarily. It's, it's like we need to understand that this, like, even if we had enough food, but if we don't know how to consume it, if we don't know how to have a healthy lifestyle, then we will have uh, nourishing problems. So that's one, one of the um, programs I would like to mention. We work very hard on encouraging and promoting and communicating and giving information about the importance of uh, adopting uh, sustainable lifestyles. Uh, and this go again beyond, this goes again beyond the, the food itself. To have a chance at eliminating hunger by 2030, some cultural changes will have to happen. From healthier eating and local sourcing to capability development for rural communities. If we want to reverse the bleak picture we heard about at the start of this episode, this is the kind of endeavor we have to undertake. For this to happen, the first step is understanding each other. There are two things that uh, we learned from this journey of uh, working tackle to your hunger. And the, the first thing is would be... Um, the perspective of capability development. I would say that's, that's the main thing. And um, building or helping the communities to find their own capabilities is a journey that takes time, but especially it takes 
understanding the communities and helping and understanding the companies what has to offer. And I'm not talking about money. Sure, there's investment that has to be done. But the main thing I would say is resources. And I'm going to put this as an example. When we start to work with the community in, in with indigenous community in La Sierra Nevada in, in Colombia, when we understand that, we first bring some people from the community to talk and to understand what was the need and to talk and to really understand what we need, they needed. And at the end, what we understood of those six months that took the negotiations to understand where to put the coffee and where to put the, the onions and the beans, took six months to get to an agreement. But it was a process that was so important because it, it requires um, the people from the trade and people from the community to agree upon what we needed. And that was time. That was uh, understanding the other, understanding the needs of the other, and understanding the need of, it, of, of, of the organization. And with that kind of understanding, what follows is the ideal way to build something new. And the second one, I would say innovation. Innovation is a, is a very good track and I believe that an expert in innovation situation has a lot of things about. But I will say the innovation can result in small things. Uh, and uh, going back to the example of, of the cocoa farmers in, 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 in La Sierra Nevada, the indigenous community, we create a system to fertilize uh, with organic things uh, the the orchery and the production of the, the products. We use the technology of the community, they have a knowledge, what to use, and we also start to develop like different things and they have like a, a community factory that they produce their own fertilizers for the orchery. And we create like innovation, a low-cost innovation. But if you are there, if you understand the reality and then the resources the company has, that's the way you can tackle these problems of zero hunger through capability development of a process. And second, innovation. And innovation can be a process that can be done on the ground. And you need to understand the resources the company has and the resources the community has. And when you put those things together, great things can happen. So I will add to those, those two learnings that were very important for us and it took us time to learn it. Finally, what the whole planet has been going through since the start of 2020 can present a significant opportunity for all kinds of organizations to start putting more effort into SGD2 true recovery plans. Because there are a lot of resources that can be directed towards capability development for resilience and lasting changes to the food system that could also help restart the economy. Yeah, we, we have a new private sector um, strategy to really engage more with the private sector, but we still uh, very much uh, collaborating with, uh, with national government. Um, but we're trying to, to bridge the gap, you know, between uh, the private sector and, and uh, the government and also um, really uh, involve them in, in more and more in, in funding our project or uh, identifying business opportunities uh, in country. So we have this huge um, hand-in-hand uh, initiative. And I think in some country, the COVID-19 recovery plan offer a huge opportunity to improve this private uh, public sector partnership in, in improving or increasing uh, financing in the sector. So if we think about projects that could improve rural development, so that could bring you know, better access 
of, of lo local farmers or smallholders farmers to the market, um, investment in transitioning to more sustainable agriculture also could be in the recovery plans. And of course, making, yeah, uh, investing to, to reduce food losses and waste and uh, the whole sustainability from, from farm uh, to fork. The kind of innovation we need to achieve SDG2 has to come from every direction, from the big food producing companies to the small communities sowing the fields of the world. So let's work together on finding ways to reduce food waste and food loss. Let's invest in local sustainability to ensure that no one is left behind. And let's work on understanding how we can improve the way from farm to fork. The Rising Tide podcast is co-produced by the GRI and Naranja Media. We want to thank Valerie Bichier, Juliana Meneses and Maria Clara Pietraita for sharing their time and expertise. We also want to thank the Swedish government for making this podcast series possible. We greatly appreciate their long-standing support for sustainable development work, catalyzing action towards the SDGs.